uh, I will just say good morning uh, and happy new year. And uh, we are in for an exciting morning with not one, not two, but three presentations. In the interest of time, uh, we'll turn this over to uh, Dr. McGinn, if you have any remarks, otherwise to Dr. Sagar, who's going to be our moderator. I'll, I'll just take the opportunity to say Happy New Year and um, just grateful for all the presenters today. Uh, amazing work, body of work that you're going to see. Um, I always, it's the new year. It's my second year um, here at Common Spirit. And I feel like we're constantly introducing ourselves to ourselves at Common Spirit. We're making ourselves aware of the amazing talent, the research, clinical innovation that's going on. And this is a way to do that. So I'm excited to hear about our award winners. And really, we should all just take a recognition and a moment to appreciate how amazing Common Spirit is and the portfolio of amazing people doing incredible, innovative work in so many different communities across the United States. So. That's all I'll say and hand it over to the amazing Dr. Sagar, who's going to introduce the speakers. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the National Abstract Competition Grand Rounds. Very excited to have you all here. I want to briefly review what this abstract competition really meant. And the purpose was to highlight the amazing work, the research, the clinical acumen, as well as the quality work that's being done across our footprint. We have three main categories, clinical research, health disparities research, or health equity research, and practice innovation, high value care. The submission criteria is in front of you. We looked to include everybody who was affiliated with Common Spirit Health across our clinics, our offices, as well as our academic partners. We received a total of 57 abstract submissions, which were an immense example of some of the phenomenal work being done across the board. Next slide. The judging criteria in brief was a rubric that was created based on the AAMC rubric for abstract competitions, five criteria, direct clinical care influence, generalizability of the findings, research design, clinical impact, and influencer status about how can, is it possible for this to influence care delivery across our common spirit health physician enterprise? Next slide. None of this could be possible without the incredible efforts, insights, guidance of all of the folks listed in front of you and beyond. A special shout out to Brooke Burgess, John Knishi, and Rachel Lytle for making all of this abstract competition seem absolutely seamless and was not possible without each of these folks. So thank you, thank you. Uh, and this is our winning abstract for our health disparities research. And the title of the abstract is Improving the Transition into Adulthood Process for Children with Neurodevelopmental Disabilities. And Dr. Patel and Dr. Shank are both fellows in, at the Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's Hospital in Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics. Dr. Patel completed her pediatric residency at Geisinger Medical Center in Pennsylvania and has an interest in education, evaluating children for developmental concerns such as autism, ADHD, and intellectual disability. Dr. Shank completed her residency in Lubbock at Texas Tech University and has a special interest in autism, transition to adulthood, and health disparities faced by the Hispanic community. Please take it away, Dr. Shank and Dr. Patel. 
Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, Dr. Sarah Shank, and this is Dr. Janki Patel. Um, and we're both uh, developmental behavioral pediatrics fellows here in Houston, Texas. This morning, we're going to review with you our quality improvement project that focused on improving healthcare transition for youth with neurodevelopmental disabilities within our center. So first off, we'd like to recognize we have no disclosures as presenters. And so we can get started. So we all know that transition into adulthood for children with developmental disabilities brings added challenges, and it's a time that benefits from early planning. The transition process is often poorly defined clinically, and it may even be overlooked by both healthcare providers and caregivers. Um, luckily, experts in the field have developed guidance for physicians and families entitled the six core elements of healthcare transition, which um, we used from gottransition.org. But many of the resources that do exist focus on typically developing children um, and medically complex children rather than children with neurodevelopmental disabilities. So when starting this process, we chose to follow the guidance of gottransition.org, which walks healthcare providers and families through transition planning. Um, the first step, which you can see here, is to create a transition policy which is how we began our quality improvement project. And so I wanna take a moment to just pause and talk about Fragile X syndrome and how it's related to our project. Um, neurodevelopmental disabilities are often the product of both the environment and genetics. And so ge Fragile X syndrome is a very common inherited cause of intellectual disability, behavioral and learning challenges, um, and other developmental disabilities. And so we chose to initially target this specific subset of children in our practice, given that it's a population where healthcare transition can be particularly challenging. And so I'm going to discuss the purpose of our, of our project, which was given that there's no um, transition policy currently within our Fragile X clinic at our center, our first aim was to understand current expectations and practices around transition in order to inform the development of a clinical policy. So we first chose to conduct a needs assessment prior to creating a transition policy. Um, and so we plan to measure the use of this policy over time and adjust the policy to best meet the needs of our providers and families. Um, and then, so like I discussed a little bit, we did a baseline needs assessment that was conducted with both clinical providers and caregivers. Um, we conducted mini PDSA cycles indicated on the right of the screen in order to increase our response rate from caregivers. Um, as you know, getting responses from surveys can be challenging. Um, and so all providers were sent a survey link via email and responses were de-identified. And a survey was also requested from three groups of caregivers. Um, those planning to attend a virtual workshop about transition, caregivers of patients seen in our Fragile X specialty clinic, and also caregivers who are distributed our um, social workers newsletter were also included. So the results from our initial needs assessment demographics are shown here. The table on the left indicates that a variety of um, professional disciplines within our clinic uh, participated in this needs assessment, which included physicians, psychologists, nurses, and medical assistants. 
Um, for the caregiver um, demographic data that's presented on the right, um, you can see that the children's reported demographic uh, information here indicates the diverse patient population that our clinic serves, um, which also has a wide variety of transition needs um, of our patient population that we're trying to address with this project. So the significant overall results um, of the needs assessment displayed here with the provider results on the right and the caregiver on the left are summarized. Um, we've received total of 20 provider responses and from those 89% indicated they discussed transition weekly to monthly with patients. Uh, providers also indicated they believe this process should occur between the ages 10 to 16 years of age. Um, providers responded that most difficult topics for transition uh, for them to discuss were things like insurance and benefits, um, guardianship and decision making, while the easiest topics to discuss included things like independent living and puberty and sexual health. Total of 33 caregiver responses uh, were obtained through our needs assessment and um, of those, 91% indicated that providers had never discussed transition care with them. Caregivers also reported that they desired for providers to further discuss puberty and sexual health topics for their child in detail, even though 48% indicated the topic was discussed at a visit. The other most, uh, most reported discussed topics from the caregiver perspective included insurance benefits and um, guardianship and decision making. This graphic represents our provider responses on the left and the caregiver responses on the right. The topic listed on the x-axis are the common transition topics that need to be addressed to help guide a child with fragile X syndrome to adulthood. The blue bar for the provider graph represents the responses that were noted, the topic being easy to discuss um, versus the orange, which represents the, process, uh, the responses indicating the topic being difficult to discuss for the providers. For the caregiver graphic on the right, the blue represents the percentage of responses indicating the topic was discussed, while the orange represents the uh, responses indicating the topic was not being discussed. So to further look at this, um, these graphics, um, those green circles here represent um, on the left what providers found the easiest was to discuss, which was the topic of independent living, um, while the caregivers reported that the most often discussed topic was the puberty and sexual health. Meanwhile, in the red here is what is the most difficult to discuss for the provider, which is the insurance and benefits while caregivers reported that guardianship, decision-making, independent living and work were the least, least reported discussed topics for them. So the overall conclusion from our initial needs assessment revealed that the most important transition topic for caregivers is puberty and sexual health, and that providers feel the least comfortable discussing insurance and benefits. This overarching revelation from our assessment indicated that the transition of care topics perceived to be discussed from a provider standpoint of view was not reported from the caregivers. This communication gap 
um, is what we intended to bridge in order to uh, establish our clinic policy in order to inform our practice. So a standardized policy um, for a clinic like ours will likely help help bridge this communication gap between providers and caregivers regarding transition by clearly defining the process. So the creation of this sustainable standardized policy for our clinic has been possible with the input from multidisciplinary personnel involved in patient care, along with the invaluable caregiver input that we've received. This allows this uh, policy to be easily updated and implemented in other um, fragile X clinics, which uh, are available nationally for patients. Um, and we're hoping that this transition policy being one of its kind, um, eventual expansion into the other neurodevelopmentally developmental disabilities domain would be feasible given how it's created with the multidisciplinary input. Granted, implementation into other neurodevelopmental disabilities would require additional needs assessment from caregivers, but the fair framework is set up for this implementation at this time. Uh, we would like to acknowledge our wonderful team here at the Meyer Center that was involved in every step of this process and our mentor, Dr. Harris, for spearheading uh, this initiative with us um, as fellows uh, for the clinic. Great. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you for the lovely presentation. I will ask Dr. McGinn, Dr. Coleman, Dr. Flynn, Dr. Greenswag, and Dr. Harris to come into the panel and let's open it up for our discussion. Please take it away. Maybe I'll speak up as a fellow pediatrician. I first want to acknowledge my colleagues at Texas Children's Hospital for your great work in this space. Uh, and from the perspective of a pediatrician, pediatric intensivist, you know that we often are on the continuum of care for this patient population. So the, the question that I would pose, both a comment and a question, I think you've raised some really critical issues about an inflection point that we've encountered in pediatric medicine, because there's often a tension, right, between what we know is perhaps better for the patients by maybe beginning that transition early, but at the same time, we too are attached to them, and the families want to remain with us because they feel safe, they feel secure, they come to our ER as opposed to the adults, even when technically the patient has aged out. So my question is, what do we need to do? And, and you've acknowledged a lot of those challenges. What do we need to do differently in pediatric training, even at the primary, not subspecialty level, to really help prepare both learners, trainees, eventual practitioners, and our families for this inevitable transition that will occur? Thank you. That's what I know. I think that's a really thoughtful question and something I think we can all relate to. Um, I think you kind of touched on it even when you were, you know, discussing that a moment ago that I think early planning um, and really integrating that, you know, even in like the all aspects, even in primary care and even other subspecialty care is really important. And I think like you mentioned too, it's really, it really uh, kind of affects, you know, every area of a child's care, especially um, with children with developmental disabilities or chronic illness. So I think definitely early planning. And also, like you said, just being really intentional about introducing it early, even in education to be a focus. I think this project in itself is like a good opportunity to, to allow attention to an area like we even had discussed can be often overlooked. And so I think just being really intentional about 
how we provide that training for for students. But yeah, I know. I think I don't yeah. know if you have anything else to add, Dr. Patel. Yeah, I was uh, I was gonna say one additional thing. We did have the provider reported uh, when they thought the transition process would start, and we don't have that data for a caregiver because a lot of time it said they're not sure or that they would leave it up to the provider. So I think just maybe commute and helping providers understand that this should be maybe led from the provided, not necessarily waiting for the families to initiate the process. This is Gary Greenswag. <clears throat> sort of as a follow-on to this question, what about the downstream provider, the next stop on the train for this patient, and who helps find that person? These are people with very special needs, and uh, I can see as a primary care family physician, someone calls me up and says, I have this fragile X patient, can you take over? And I go, Oh, uh, so how does that happen? Yes, uh, Dr. Greenswag, that was a really good and thoughtful question that you brought up. And actually, that is going into our next phase of creation. Okay. So we're, we um, at Baylor College of Medicine, we have a, um, a transition um, adult program that there is a transition clinic here where there are actually med peds trained uh, physicians. So they are well-versed in pediatrics and medicine um, that would be able to kind of help with the transition of these patients. And we're working with them to create a policy and almost like a resource packet for our patients when they are transitioning into the primary care. And yeah, that was good. And I think that like kind of we had talked about a little bit, I think in terms of training, like understanding like the pediatrics gets a lot of focus on some of these areas of of developmental disabilities or even chronic illness, but focusing even on like family medicine training or even, you know, the focus of common spirit, which is like rural medicine training where you have to have, um, you know, be comfortable with wearing so many hats as can, as you're taking care of those kids during that transition. So I think just like broadening the area of like focus who's receiving this, this learning. I think that's a great point. I want to give Dr. Harris a chance to chime in as the faculty mentor of this project. What are your thoughts and what was your inspiration to really thinking about this? Yeah, so uh, my fellows have done an excellent job fielding the questions. I didn't have anything else to add, but um, so I'm the, I'm the clinical director of our Fragile X clinic. And I think this is just something that I noticed that we all have a little bit of angst about as providers and we don't have a lot of kind of standards or guidance. And there's a lot coming out, um, as you guys saw, got transition. And I know we were actually very fortunate because we have a whole transition medicine team to consult with on the adult side, um, but we're kind of poised to um, really study this and learn about it and come up with kind of some best practices for neurodevelopmental disabilities. So um, it's exciting. And so that's kind of what inspired the work because there's a lot of work to be done. Great. Thank you. And I think that's a great note for us to segue into our next presentation. Thank you so much to all of you. Mm -hmm.